Well, good morning. Uh, hopefully you guys uh, aren't too waterlogged after the week that we've had. Uh, it's, been, uh, it's been nice, but I've wanted to be inside all week because I don't want get, to get soaked. Um, but nice to have the, have the rain. Um, we are uh, continuing this series, uh, the story, uh, leading right up to Christmas. Uh, we have been um, looking at kind of this, this overview of the Old Testament, uh, starting with the very beginning where uh, God as creator uh, creates uh, everything we know. He creates us. Uh, when he creates us, he gives us a, a purpose for, uh, for being, which is to image him, to reflect him, uh, to, sh- to demonstrate his character to the world. Um, and with that, he gives us choice, right? The ability to make choices. And uh, we take that good gift of, of choice and volition, and we used it wrongly. We used it for our own selfish purposes and to uh, prop up ourselves. Uh, and, um, and so uh, we bear the results of that, right, which is, which is death. Um, and uh, we think maybe this next generation of humans after Adam and Eve, maybe we'll get this thing right because maybe they just blew it, you know, kind of that one time blowing it thing. Uh, and the next generation, we find that that's uh, not going to happen. Uh, we have the first murder that happens between Cain and Abel. And then we have this long period of history, this, this 1,700 years in which uh, as, as the population increases uh, and we think maybe this 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 uh, this humanity uh, can get it right, right, with maybe just enough people and enough time that we can sort of dial this thing in and figure out how to fix ourselves. Um, And instead, as the people increased, the wickedness increased uh, to this point in which uh, Yahweh says uh, every intention of their heart was, was, was evil all the time, was continually evil all the time, just a massive amount of evil. So uh, he wipes everyone off the face of the planet, right? Except for this one guy and his family. Um, And we think at this point, well, maybe that'll be enough, right? We got rid of all the bad people. Uh, Now we just have the the good people. Maybe this is going to set us straight and set us right, right? And we find very quickly that it does not set us straight. Uh, it, it does not make us right. We have Ham doing his thing. Uh, we quickly get to the, the uh, Tower of Babel uh, in which uh, the people were not doing what God called them do, to do. They were uh, selfish and uh, trying to uh, exalt themselves. And, uh, and we find that it was not uh, enough. And so the next picture we have is of this guy, Abraham, right, who God is... is finally starting to uh, enact his purpose in mankind. And he does it through this relational contract with, with Abraham and his uh, son and his son's son and, and, and his son's sons. And as the generations go on and on and on, he, he uh, perpetuates this re- relational contract with them um, and gives them very, very, very specific instructions on how to honor him, how to live in right relationship, how to, how to execute justice. And those very, very specific instructions were clearly not enough because we uh, chose to go our own way. The people chose to go their, their own way and repeatedly violated the contract over and over and over and over again. And so we go, where's this going to go? Like, like uh, is humanity just something we should write off? 
Because it seems like all of these steps that should have maybe uh, fixed the problem, addressed the problem, uh, they don't address the problem. Not because Yahweh is insufficient, but because we are wicked and we choose our own way. So the people decide, you know what, maybe the way to fix this thing is with the right leadership, right? So they decide, we, we want a king. And as we saw last week with those, the very, very long presentation of all those kings, uh, the kings don't fix the problem. In fact, they are as wicked or more wicked than the people were prior to them becoming in, in leadership. And, and the way the kings went is the way the people went, into wickedness. The kings were not enough. Unfaithfulness continued. The violation of the covenant continues over and over and over again, and each time bringing dire consequences to the people. So we get to this point where, where we go, maybe it's over. Maybe, maybe, there's, not, uh, maybe there's just not enough in humanity to get this thing done, to fix us. That God's given us every opportunity. He's been gracious over and over and over again, but we can't seem to get it right. We can't seem to obey the simplest instructions. We can't seem just to be uh, faithful to his covenant, faithful to him for even a generation. It seems like we can't get that done. We just keep doing evil. We keep rejecting our creator. Where do we go from from here? And what we're going to see today is that the problem with everything up to this point is it was fully dependent on a response from humanity, right? It was fully dependent on humanity getting their ducks in a row, making the right decisions when, when it came, push came to shove. And so the only way to address this issue of, of humanity's uh, gross violation of their relationship with God, the only way to address this, the, the issue of the human heart is for God to intervene in what's actually going on with the human heart. And that's what we're going to look at today. Let me pray for us. Lord, uh, we uh, are just so thankful to, to be in this season, um, to be reflecting on, uh, on your son's coming, uh, to be able to sing songs about that and reflect on that. Uh, as we reflect on his coming, may we reflect on uh, this new covenant that we're going to talk about today this reality that was instituted by his coming. May we uh, see all of the ways that you've been at work, all of the ways you promised to transform us. Uh, may, may that help shape our thinking about ourselves and, and thus shape uh, our response to you and, and the way that we live. May we understand the, the radical transformation that you have wrought uh, within your people. And I pray that uh, the text would make that clear and that you'd help me just to get it out of the way this morning. Pray this all in the way, yeah, in your way, all in your name, amen. So uh, way back in Deuteronomy 28 and 29, we're going to rewind just, just a tad here. Uh, this is right at the end of, of uh, Abraham's life, sorry, Moses's life, and Moses is... Uh, is kind of rehashing these, the covenant with the people. He's rehashing the covenant uh, stipulations, you know, the, 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 the legal language that said, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. He's rehashing that with them. Um, and, and Moses gives kind of his final instructions. And in that section, he tells the people, and we looked at this a couple weeks ago, he tells them that they are going to violate the contract. Even as he's telling them, uh, kind of rehashing what the, what the contract is, 
he tells them, you're going to violate it. Things are going to go badly. Uh, you will, uh, once you get into the new land, you're not going to do what, what Yahweh asked you to do. Uh, and so you're going to lose crops. You're going to lose family members. You're going to experience great sickness and great disease. Um, other nations are going to uh, be more powerful, more powerful than you and overpower you. Um, they will uh, force you into servitude. Uh, in fact, they will, uh, they will capture you and take them uh, to themselves, take you to themselves. Um, and you will be exiles in a foreign land. Keep in mind, this is hundreds of years before it actually occurs. Uh, this is right at the end of Moses' life. But in chapter 30, the tone changes a little bit. It's all doom and gloom. But then the tone changes. Look at this. So it will be when all of these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have placed before you, and you call them to mind in all, and you call them to mind in all the nations where Yahweh your God has scattered you, and you return to Yahweh your God and obey Him with all of your heart and soul in accordance with everything that I commanded you today, you and your sons, then Yahweh your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you. And will gather you again from all the peoples where Yahweh your God has scattered you. Which this does happen. Okay, it happens hundreds of years later. Look at verse 4. If any of you, if any of your scattered countrymen are at the ends of the earth, from there, your, from there Yahweh your God will gather you. And from there he will bring you back. Yahweh your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will be good to you and make you more numerous than your fathers. After they're captured, after they're taken away by their enemies, eventually they will return, which they did, and um, the, the, the loss of the land will not be forever. That's the hope that's, that, that's here. You will lose the land, but it will not be for, forever, which is exactly what happens. If you're familiar with, with uh, the history of the Israelite people, the southern kingdom goes into exile in Babylon. And for 70 years, they are in captivity. But then Persia uh, beats up on Babylon and takes them over, and the Persian king allows them to return back into the land, back to their homeland, and to rebuild their homeland. But this is not the only promise. Look at verse 6. It says, Moreover, Yahweh your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants, to love Yahweh your God with all your heart and all your soul, so that you may live. Verse 8, you will again obey Yahweh and follow all his commandments, which I am commanding you today. Not only will Yahweh make this kind of external uh, change in their circumstances where they will come back from captivity, not, not only uh, will he give them physical blessings, He will also create this internal transformation, a new heart. And this new heart is one that will remain committed to Yahweh. When all we've seen is unfaithfulness, right? This hope is in this new heart, which actually will be faithful. Unfaithfulness has been kind of their MO throughout their history. But faithfulness will be their new MO. The lack of love for Yahweh has, been, has marked their whole journey, and kind of half-hearted uh, following of him has, has been their, their trademark. 
but instead wholehearted dedication and devotion to Yahweh would be their mark at this point. Expressed through obedience and, and following him fully. This is a promise that uh, is later fulfilled in Scripture. We have some, some uh, pictures of this in the New Testament. Colossians 2, 11 says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision performed without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. This transformation occurs in the people of, of Christ, in his people. Romans uh, chapter 2 says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from people, but from God. This speaks of hope of a radical transformation of God's people. And it's a radical transformation that God has, has brought. It's occurred in our time. The point on your handout, if you want to fill it in, is from the time of Israel's earliest failures, God was pointing to the hope of a time coming when he would work a radical transformation of his people from the inside out. From the time of Israel's earliest failures, God was pointing to the hope of a time coming when he would work a radical, radical transformation of his people from the inside out. There's real hope here, right? Because the problem has always been us. The problem has always been the human heart, right? And he's promised to, tr to transform that. But that's not the only promise. All throughout the, the period of the kings, which we looked at, at la last week, there is uh, this group of people who were the prophets. Now, I wanted to take a whole Sunday to talk about the prophets, but I ran out of time, and we don't really need a whole Sunday to talk about the prophets. The bottom line with the prophets is they had this special role, which was every time Israel would go wrong, which was very, very frequently, their job was to bring the people back into covenant relationship with Yahweh. And so there was kind of a couple ways that they would do that. One way is they would say, hey, Yahweh's really, really, really good. Remember all this good stuff he's done. Remember his character, uh, his graciousness, and his, his love, and his, his, his kindness toward you. He's really great. Come back to him because he's great, right? The other way would be warning how bad it was going to get for them if they did not return. Kind of the, the, the carrot and the stick analogy. You guys familiar with that? One is, hey, go get the carrot. It's really good. Yahweh's awesome. The other one's like, you're going to go through a lot of pain. So you probably should try to avoid that. The prophets were not very successful. If you look at their success rate, it's super, super, super low. It's a little bit like, uh, like baseball. You know, the this, this success of, of hitters is, you know, the best hitters in the world hit the ball one out of three times. That's terrible, right? Uh, but that's, that's how it is. They just did not have a lot of success because the kings would not listen and the people would not listen. So we saw last week, we mentioned this, that, that God eventually takes this northern kingdom that splits off from the southern kingdom and he judges them. They get taken away into captivity, and uh, the northern kingdom is never revived. It's done. It's finished. But Yahweh goes to the southern kingdom a little while later and tells them, you know what? You're also, like the northern kingdom, you're going to be taken into captivity, and Judah's going to be destroyed. And it's a bleak picture. 
But unlike the northern kingdom, there's some hope for them. And it comes in Jeremiah 29. We're all semi-familiar with this verse, I think. Uh, a lot of times in May and June, this verse comes up a lot in uh, graduation cards. He says, uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares Yahweh, plans to pro- for prosperity and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. So he was telling the people, you know what, you're going to go into captivity, but it's not the end. There is hope. After 70 years, you will be reestablished in the land. And the Israelites will come back into relationship with, with Yahweh. But the 70 years will be a time of discipline. Not annihilation, but discipline. You will eventually be healed. Your enemies eventually will be punished. And you will have a home again. Which, by the way, if you look at the context of this verse, I find it very odd that we're, we're wishing this upon high school seniors. Because it's pretty much like, your life's going to stink, your kids' lives are going to stink, your kids' kids' lives are going to stink. Maybe like your great-great-grandkids, their life will be pretty decent. And we're wishing that on our high school seniors. kind of weird, but we like the phrasing, right? Uh, so he's giving hope, right? Within that, he gives some additional hope. And this is the true hope of this section. It's in Jeremiah 31. It says, Behold... Days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares Yahweh. Yahweh says there's going to be a new deal, a new contract, and it will be very, very much not like the original contract. It'll be fundamentally different than that original contract. Because that original contract, they were just breakers of that contract. It was just broken constantly over and over and over again. Uh, it was nullified. It was violated. That's what the word means there. It was, the contract was, was nullified over and over and over again. While I was still faithful to them, they were continually unfaithful to me. I was a faithful husband to them. I was a faithful, loving relator to them, and they were unfaithful to me constantly. Right? We talked about this, this picture of, of this unfaithful spouse who's this one who, who cheats on the spouse and then comes back, please bring me back, and the, and the spouse, go, spouse goes, okay, you can come back. And then the, the spouse goes and cheats on him again and then comes back, oh yeah, you can come back, and then cheats on him again and then comes back and we're like, we, we hate that story, and this is the story of Israel. But he's like, I was a, a faithful husband to them, and they violated it. And so we're going to do a, a new deal a new contract. Well, how's it going to be different? Look at 33. For this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts. If you remember in the original contract back in Exodus 34, it was written on stone tablets, right? Now, Yahweh said to Moses, cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words. Eventually, they're put onto these rocks that get put into this wall, and it was just this carved stone legal contract. And he said, this new contract won't be carved in stone. It will be carved directly on your heart. Not an external written uh, list of contractual obligations, but an internal reality in the life of his people. Handwritten on the innermost part of our being. 
In fact, the, the word here uh, for, for heart is, uh, it encapsulates way more than the heart. It's, it's the heart, it's the mind, it's the soul, it's the spirit. It's, it's your very self, the very core of who we are, and he will write his, his, his will for us deeply embedded into who we are. And he says, I will be their God, and they will be my people. They shall be my people. This also, like the first contract, will be a relational contract. But it won't, it, it won't speak of the possibility of relationship. It speaks of the certainty of relationship. I will be their God. They shall be my people. It speaks of certainty. Look at verse 34. They will not teach again each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, No, Yahweh, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares Yahweh. No one will need to be told, Hey, you need to go uh, know this Yahweh guy. Because if, they, if they're his people, they will already know him. And they will be in deep relationship with him. There won't be levels of relationships. If you, if you look through uh, the Old Testament, there are people who had more, more intimate connection with God, right? You had Moses who was meeting with, with Yahweh on a regular basis, right? And the people, you know, stood outside the tent, right? But this is different. Now, every single person, no matter who you are, high, low, doesn't matter, you will have an intimate relationship with Yahweh, no matter what status you, you have in the community, no matter what uh, position you hold in the community, you will have a relationship. So the question is, well, how is this going to be maintained, right? We've seen this relationship break down over and over and over and over again in Yahweh's history. And all the ways they tried to fix it, fix it, it just continued to break down over and over and over again. Look at what he says. For I will forgive their wrongdoing." And their sin I will no longer remember. This is very, very different. See, the original covenant, there was no uh, uh, forgiveness there. There was no, oh, you've broken the, the covenant? Okay, no biggie, right? I'm just going to let you off the hook. No, you broke the covenant, there were consequences for that. And it was broken relationship with Yahweh. And that broken relationship caused all sorts of problems. We've see, seen that over and over again. But instead, this new covenant is going to be all about forgiveness. And not about individual forgiveness. Not about, I'm going to go down this road for a while and, and, and have these sins that are going on, and he's going to be at our arm's length. My relationship with him is going to be broken. No, instant forgiveness of all sin, pardon for, from all sin, no longer remembered ever. The sin that I'm going to do sometime this next year, this next month, this next week, it's all forgiven already. He doesn't even remember the thing I'm going to do. Like, that's crazy, right? My behavior will no longer disconnect me from covenant relationship with my God. What a good covenant. It, won't de it doesn't depend on me anymore. It doesn't depend on us anymore. It doesn't depend on whether we're faithful or not. That's a better covenant. 
Zoom ahead a little bit to Jeremiah 32. It says, they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Again, that kind of definitive statement. I will give them one heart and one way, so that they will fear me always. For their own good and for the good of their children after them, I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. The great thing about this is he's going to give this transformation of, of, of heart in which there's singleness of heart. Their hearts will be his, wholly his. And not because of their own will, but because of the transformation he's making inside of them. Do you, do you, do you hear his work here? This is not our work. This is his work in us. He will give them one way, which means like one path to follow. And that's his work, not us. And the result of his work is that he'll have a people who revere him, who fear him, who respect him enough in their relationship to him. And will never, ever turn away from him. Now, we talked a while back, I think there was a question that came up when we did the question series um, about, you know, losing your salvation or whatever. And there's, there's lots of, of verses that would definitely lead us to believe that that's an impossibility, right? And I covered all of those things. But the thing I didn't cover then, because it was too convoluted, I think I could cover it now, is the new covenant, right? The new covenant says, I will tr so transform my people that they will never turn away from me. Never turn away from me. That's his promise to us. I don't know how that works, but I know those who are wholly his are wholly his. And usually, and we talked about this back then, usually those who end up showing that they're not his, it's because they never were his, right? This new covenant replaces the old covenant. Not because the old was bad. The old was very, very, very good. But because we were inherently unfaithful. So the old could never reach its potential because of us. We were the problem. We need a new covenant. We need this new covenant because this new covenant makes us new. Hebrews 8 is, is, is really big on explaining some of these ideas. Uh, I, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. And so I, and Paul is making a, a case uh, for the new covenant from Jeremiah 31. And like, in fact, a lot of Jeremiah 31 is in Hebrews 8. But here's some things that he says. Verse 6, he says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, talking about Jesus, to the extent that he also the mediator, he, he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. I don't know about you, but already we could agree with this statement, right? This is definitely a better covenant with better promises to us. Yeah. For if, the, for if that first covenant had been free of fault, no circumstances would have been sought for a second. Okay, we needed the second thing. Then he goes into a long section of Jeremiah, and then in verse 13 he says this. Oh, where's 13? Is it on there? Oh, there it is. Yeah, 13 says this, when he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is about to disappear. A really, really important thing to understand about the new covenant is it does replace the old covenant. 
The old covenant becomes obsolete, which I get a little uncomfortable with, the, with his use of the word obsolete here. I'm like, that's part of our Bible that he's calling obsolete here. But it's really that contract. That contract has a lot to teach us, right? I think we've learned a lot over this, this past couple months. It has a lot to teach us, but we're not bound by that covenant any, anymore. We're not in that covenant anymore. We're in this new covenant. It's like... Uh, Got to get this in here because I'm excited about it, about it. The Padres just signed Xander Bogarts, the shortstop. Anybody know this? It's really important news, I'll tell you that, okay? Uh, th- they signed him, right, from the Boston Red Sox. Well, he had three years left on his contract with, with the Boston Red Sox. What do you think happened to that contract? It was nullified. Right? In order for this new, better, 11 years, $280 million contract to be enacted. Right? Sorry, Mark. It's a good thing. It's a, the, the point is this. It's a good thing that the old covenant was nullified. It's a good thing. Because we have this new, better covenant based on better promises. Hosea 2 talks about this covenant says, I will betroth you to me forever. Do you hear that language? Eternal, everlasting, unchanging, forever you will be betrothed to me. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in favor and in compassion, and I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know Yahweh. You will know him. This word for know, this gets a little bit weird, but I, but I think it's cool The word for know here is intimately knowing. It's literally the word that's used uh, among men and women, husbands and wives. When Adam knew Eve, that's the word here. Intimate knowledge. Fixed intimacy. And as people can expect that intimacy to go on and on and on forever and ever and ever. And it results in in righteousness and justice and faithfulness in us and his unending favor and compassion. This, this is mind-blowing because it's, it's literally like no other relationship we have, we have ever experienced. Almost any relationship you can think of, and I would say probably all relationships you can think of, but, prob- but I'll say almost, there is a breaking point. There is that point in which that other person would no longer be in relationship with you. That is not true of our God. There is no breaking point. It is fixed. And not only is it fixed, it's transformational for us. Verse 23 says, I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. And I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. Under this new covenant, the people who had not been his people would now be able to be part of his people. They will be recognized by by Yahweh as his people, and the people would recognize him as their God. The old covenant was exclusively for Abraham's descendants. And now this new covenant begins to fulfill that promise that he made to Abraham years before when he said, all the nations of the earth will be blessed in you, right? He's fulfilling this in that you don't have to be a part of his covenant, his, his old covenant people, the, the Abrahamic covenant, the, the Abraham's descendants. You can now not be a part of that people and be a part of his people. 
We begin, uh, or we see this in Romans chapter 9, verse 23. It says, and he did so, uh, which, which the did so is including Abraham's, including those who are outside of Abraham's people as his people. He did so to make known the riches of his glory upon objects of mercy, which he prepared beforehand, namely us, whom he also called, not only from among the Jews, but also from among the Gentiles. How many non-Jewish people are in the room? Yeah, that's probably pretty much all of us, right? Maybe one exception, all right? We are generally Gentile people. This is good news for us. And he also says in Hosea, I will call those who are not my people, my people, and her who was not beloved, beloved. It's out of Hosea chapter 2. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called the sons of the living God. Good, good news for us non-Jewish people. Here's the point. Yahweh promised to replace the old contract with a new one that would never be broken and would include those outside of Abraham, Abraham's descendants. Yahweh promised to replace the old contract with a new one that would never be broken and would include those outside of Abraham's descendants. Very, very different than the original. I don't know about you, but my immediate question after what we just looked at is, how will he accomplish this transformation of people? Where will this power to live in covenant faithfulness to God come from? When people have only demonstrated weakness up to this point, only demonstrated unfaithfulness, where will the power to remain faithful come from? Isaiah speaks of this when he's speaking of the new covenant in Isaiah 59. He says, as for me, this is my covenant with them, says Yahweh. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring, says Yahweh, from now and forever. Not only does this covenant promise a new heart to us, which is really, really good, not only does it promise to write his words in the deepest part of who we are, but also his spirit would be upon his people. Whether you know it or not, this is new. This is really new. Only a handful of people in the Old Testament ever had his Holy Spirit upon them. And many times it was very, very temporary. It was like to accomplish one particular task. Or it was something that the person who had the Holy Spirit on them knew that it could be lost at any moment. In fact, David had, had his Holy Spirit, and, and he cries out in one of his songs, uh, take not your Holy Spirit from me. He was worried about it, because he knew it was a real possibility, that it could be taken away at any time. New covenant, every one of his people would have his Spirit upon them. This is good. Joel 2 speaks about this. It says, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And, and, and by the way, this is not all people on the earth. The context of this is he's looking at his people, right? This, it's like a picture of all of his people in this group. And he's like, I'm going to pour out all of my flesh on all of this. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all of this flesh, right? That's what he's talking about. 
and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your old men will have dreams, and your young men will see visions. And even on the male and the female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. It doesn't matter your place in society, from the lowest person in society to the highest person in society. If you are a person of God, you would have his spirit. It's not just for kings and prophets and judges anymore. It is for all people. Verse 30, 30 says, I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of Yahweh, the great and awesome day that Yahweh comes. Before the great and awesome day of, of Yahweh comes? Is that what it says? Anyway, you get the idea. And it will come about that everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved. Peter actually references this passage uh, on the day of Pentecost, when this actually uh, is enacted for the first time, uh, and, and, and the Spirit comes and rests upon his people, right? That, uh, that he's, he refers back to this and says, look, this is, this is the fulfillment of this. This is God's Spirit entering each individual believer. Ezekiel 36 also speaks about this, because it's a key part of this covenant. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So new heart, new spirit. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit yet, but a new spirit within us, our spirit will be trans, transformed, breaking the pattern of hardened hearts that we've seen all throughout the Old Testament, right? People who reject God are indifferent to God, and replace that hardened heart with a softened heart. All of his people will have a softened heart heart and a new spirit. And then verse 27, he says, and I will put my spirit within you and bring it about that you walk in my statutes and are careful to follow my ordinances. You see the connection he's making there? He's like the spirit of God will dwell in each person. And the result of that will be that the spirit will cause obedience. The spirit will cause righteousness. The spirit will cause justice. Things that we can't produce. Obviously, it's very, very clear that humans trying to produce these things have, have created a lack of righteousness over and over again, a lack of justice over and over again, a lack of obedience over and over again. He's like, you know what? I'm going to put my spirit upon you, and the result of that will be obedience in your life. The result of that will be righteousness in your life. The result of that will be justice. God's people will now have the power to fulfill the purpose for which we were created, Right? to image him, to reflect his character, to use our volition, our will, our ability to choose correctly, to choose him, to choose his ways, not our ways. And not because we are something special, but because he is something special in us and through us. It's really, really good news. Look at 2 Corinthians this is Paul speaking to the Corinthians. He says, You are a letter of Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence which we have toward God through Christ. Not that we are adequate in ourselves so as to consider anything having come from ourselves, anything, but our adequacy is from God 
who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Do you hear that? That's so good. I love that, right? The new covenant people can be adequate to God's call on their lives. Not because we're adequate. We are not adequate. I know I'm not. But because we are servants of the new covenant in which he makes us adequate. Us trying to remain faithful to the covenant, us trying to follow the instructions, we've seen how that goes. It resulted in a long history of death and destruction. The Spirit coming into us and giving us life to fulfill his good purpose, that's the new covenant. So we have statements like this, Galatians 5.16 But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Do we get that? That that alone, like, drop the mic, right? (laughs) The Spirit has come into us to overcome our weaknesses. That's so good. Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. We don't have to follow the pattern of our spiritual ancestors. For what the law could not do, it's super clear the law could not do what what needed to happen because of us, right? Weak as it was through the flesh because of humans, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of, of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. But sin is over so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. The fulfillment of God's purposes for us, of what he desires for us, can be fulfilled not because we're adequate, but because he's adequate in us. Spirit has come to set us free from sin, and its inevitable result, death. God's clear instructions, which apparently were not clear enough, right? They they could never quite get it right because they were in our hands. Now we're able to put it into the Spirit's hands to fulfill God's will in us. Finally, after 3,500 years of human history, God gives real hope. Not dependent on the people's ability to remain faithful, but completely dependent on God's power in and through his people. The point on your handout, if you want to fill it in, sorry, I get excited about this stuff. I love it. The new covenant promised that Yahweh's spirit would indwell all of his people and enable them to live righteously. The new covenant promised that Yahweh's spirit would indwell all of his people and enable them to live righteously. A quote, at the bottom, a quote at the bottom of your handout, I just think John MacArthur uh, sums this up really well, very succinct. He says, the new covenant embodies grace and peace and the Holy Spirit and regeneration and the knowledge of God and the forgiveness of sin and a new heart and pure fellowship with God and love for God. This covenant was, was both personal and individual. This covenant is our covenant If you are in Christ, and I know most of us are in Christ, we have a new 
heart. We have a new spirit. We have his spirit actually living inside of us. We have forgiveness of all sin. We have his word actually being written into the deepest part of who we are. It exists there. If, you, if, you had some, if we had some sort of a microscope or telescope or something that could zoom into this part of our heart, you'd see it. It's there in every single one of us. Obedience is ours. New life is ours. Fulfilling the greatest purpose that our life could ever have is ours, which is being able to image him. Most clearly demonstrated in his son, right? To be like Jesus. Let's all live into it. It's good stuff. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, uh, just so thankful for this new covenant. So thankful for this new life that we have. That was secured by the coming of your son. And all that he accomplished when he was here on this and walked this earth. Lord, may we not believe the plenty of lies that are out there that are, that are meant to, uh, I mean, I think they're meant to take us away from this new covenant, to take our minds away from it, to, t- to, to make us believe uh, lies so that we don't live into the truth. Lord, may we just recognize all that you've done in this new covenant, all that you've done to change us and transform us and empower us and make us adequate. So good. May we actualize it in our lives. Live it out. Be who you've called us to be. And may other, others see you in us as we do that. I pray this all your name.